What does healing mean to you? Healing is experiencing the power and the peace of a hope that doesn't disappoint. the mental health podcast raising unanswered questions sharing unanswered prayers we are faith-based peer-led story-driven and stigma breaking i am tony roberts i am eric riddle and we are revealing voices Tony Roberts, we're in the dog days of summer. Yes, we are. It's been in the 90s this week. I've been driving around with my air conditioning on and uh, going to a state park where I can see green. Uh, But I don't get out much. Brown County is a gem in the Hoosier State. It is. um, I tried to describe it to people I talked to on the phone from other states, and they're like, are you talking about Indiana? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It's Do you have a favorite trail? Very cool. Um, I haven't walked any of the trails. I just drive around and look out Hesitation Point and uh, the scenic spots. Yeah. Briley and I like to get out. The <laughs> we like to get out at Walnut Shelter and take a whiz. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's your spot. <laughs> it's our spot. Yeah. We've got it marked. Nice. There's yeah, a really nice hike at the Education Center. Okay. You can go from there, and there's some really nice stairs yeah. that get you down to Straw Lake. Okay. And so it's it's a tough hike, but there's the stairs there. So you yeah. can always turn around, and it's not like rocky you know and if you you've got the energy to get down there straw lake is smaller than the other lake there at brown county i'm getting in shape i you know i um walked well in total walking steps eight miles one day and six miles one day and when we went to door county wisconsin oh wow that's great and uh uh, didn't, you know, my, my back didn't hurt, hurt me. I I've lost some weight. I, I, I'm, I'm, my lungs are, are, I feel like I'm getting, you know, some getting in shape. Good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm pleased with that. Um, made some conscious decisions to, uh, turn over my, um, willpower and Mm -hmm. submit to some uh, encouraging uh, program and a nutritionist and great um, it's been um, it's been a blessing 20 24 days in I'll be weighing weighing my weigh-in date is a week from today okay well wanted to talk about my daughter Neela, she is going off to college. Big event. In what, four days? And she'll be a student where Susan, your wife, is a professor. That's right. Visiting professor. We, we were talking about how Neela, we, we planted a pear tree like five years ago 
you know, so she could have pears. And it's it's had a couple fruiting seasons, but not much. Well, this year when she's going off to school, there's like a hundred pears on this tree. Yes. And they're not quite ripe. So I think getting a, a bushel basket in Susan's car and taking them over might be uh, in the works here. We definitely can arrange that. Neela, if you're listening, and I'm sure you do. So <laughs> she is not listening. <laughs> we'll we'll take care of you. Eric will provide, your dad will provide you the... We'll send you some cookies. The fruit of your labors. That's right. We'll bring yeah. over the Columbus newspaper for you to catch up on uh, <laughs> all the local news. Yeah. Well, it's really exciting. I... I've had a few emotional moments. I uh, uh, have kept a folder for the kids, you know, with a lot of stuff really from elementary school, a lot of it is. Sure. And I, I found the card that I gave her for her first day of kindergarten. Wow. With a little note in there, a little letter, and I, I kind of lost it. It was, wow. you know... My, my girl's grown up, Tony. Very big, yeah. I'm, I'm very proud of quite her. Quite skilled and accomplished and more more in the work. She's got uh, support academically. Uh, your dad was saying that she'll be on a floor of computer science majors. Is that right? Uh, people from the School of Informatics. School so there, of there's, Informatics. There's different majors. Okay. She, she is a computer science major, but there will be other majors. I see. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of uh, brainiacs. Some people training in cybersecurity. There you go. That sort of thing. That's a big, big event. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she she's continuing on the riddle IU run here. Yes. And you, Eric, I just uh, took a trip to Door County, Wisconsin, and uh, we listened on the way to a podcast by... Uh, um, Keith Weedman, a local uh, yeah. podcaster called Embers and, and Wind, and he had uh, this really cool pollinator guy on the on the program. Yeah. Yes, Keith <laughs> Weedman interviewed me for his podcast Embers and Wind, and it went really well. It was great. It it really was drawing a a line of how my work I'm doing right now in the community with, uh, you know, the parks really goes back to my story in the flood recovery here in Columbus in yeah, 2008. as told in Watershed, your book. Yeah, yeah, I, I wrote yeah. a book about the year after the 2008 flood, and, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns in any story, but there's definitely a through line uh, in, you know, the kind of advocacy I do now, you know, as a volunteer, uh, and how that really, I think, was born out of those floodwaters and having probably a little more of a raised awareness about supporting our, our environment. And our community, Columbus, Indiana, is approaching a bicentennial, and you've got uh, a special event plan yeah. for that. So 200 trees for our 200, 200 year anniversary, um, partnering with a lot of different groups in town. And we've identified some county parks, city parks, and a few of the uh, schools uh, to plant trees at. 
and uh, plan to get them all in the ground this fall. Um, you can really, fall is a great time to plant trees, really any time before a hard frost. So we'll probably be planting mainly in October, be my guess. Yeah, cool. That's exciting. So plant a tree this fall. Just this, uh, this past few days, I've been participating in an effort to get a survey done. I've been promoting a survey. Yes that is uh, on mental health in the church. A woman named Leona Satterberg, who is a very uh, passionate NAMI educator and working toward a doctorate at Southern California Seminary, uh, is doing a survey uh, that builds on the study of uh, LifeWay research Okay. In 2014. That uh, was a big survey. Yeah, in that was a pretty exhaustive uh, survey of the evangelical church mostly, but not entirely. It will hopefully give a, a barometer for what has been accomplished and what still needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I will be taking that survey tonight. Quick anecdote, there is a new uh, pastor at Asbury Methodist Church here in town. My parents have been really encouraged by uh, him praying uh, for people with mental health struggles. Great. And and so, I mean, just right off the bat, he has recognized that as a prayer need, and it's been refreshing. We've got a good interview here with Kirsten Panachida. Yeah, let's move right along. Yeah. Kirsten is the author of Among Lions, Fighting for Faith and Finding Your Rest While Parenting a Child with Mental Illness. Yeah, Kirsten came to us via Katie Dale, who was on, uh, I believe it was our second interview. It was our first season, first few in. Okay, Eric, we have with us this evening Kirsten Panachida. She is an author of the book Among Lions, Fighting for Faith and Finding Your Rest While Parenting a Child with Mental Illness. We want to bring Kirsten on and share with us some of the support she has found along the way and some of the ways God has moved um, in the midst of the battle with the lions, with the beasts, um, uh, and also with other parents and others who um, have significant hardships and trials. So welcome aboard, Kirsten. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You talk about the pain of mental illness in, in very vivid ways. This pain impacts not just those diagnosed, but loved ones as well. How would you describe the pain you went through for our listeners who may have felt it, but not yet have the words to describe it? Well, our story with um, with my son's mental illness, he son is Nicholas, and he is 23 years old now, and he got sick when he was 14. He his diagnosis is bipolar disorder too, um, although that wasn't, we didn't realize that until a few years in that that was his, his condition. But it came as a huge shock to us. We, um, 
we had no idea what was going on with him. We had an older son who, when he was about 14, went through a moody stage. And so when Nicholas started um, showing symptoms, at first we really just looked at those symptoms and thought, oh, look, it's that 14-year-old boy moody stage. Um, but it really wasn't, wasn't that. And God really opened our eyes, my husband and me, and uh, particular one one evening, my son was sort of in trouble for um, something schoolwork related, but I could suddenly see that there was a much deeper issue going on. He, he was just mm. suffering, and I just became aware of it all of a sudden, and it was very difficult communication. He had a very hard time communicating to us what was going on, and, um, you know, we just kept, you know, I just kept rubbing his back and... and and saying, you can tell us anything, you know, anything that, that is going on with you. We, we, you know, it's, it's fine. You can see things. But he just couldn't speak. And so I, I started guessing. I said, can you nod if I, if I hit on the thing that you want to tell us? Because he did want to tell us something. And so I just started guessing things. You know, are you on drugs? Are you, um, are you mad at your brother? I mean, I, I just said anything that came into my mind. Yeah. Are you cutting? which I didn't really even know anything about cutting or self-harm at all, but that was the thing he nodded to. And that was sort of how our, our path began with him. And, you know, as we dug deeper, as we started looking for help for him, um, you know, we just discovered that it was, you know, it was so much more than just the, the symptom of self, self-harm. He, was, he had mm-hmm. really deep untreatable depression for several years, you know, many hospitalizations. And in terms of the pain, um, the parental pain that went through, you know, I would describe it as we thought we had something, we were holding something that was just solid and this good solid thing, and then it just shattered in our hands. And, And all of these feelings gushed out, you know, grief over how our son was suffering, loss over what we thought our family was going to be like. I didn't see how I could possibly be okay um, through this. At the end of, of this, I, I thought the only way that anything could be okay ever again in our life was if God would just come in and miraculously heal him, take it away. Um, which did not happen. You know, it was crisis upon crisis upon crisis for three years before he reached any kind of recovery or stability. Honestly, toward the end of that, my mental health was really suffering. I I had had an episode of clinical depression earlier, Mm -hmm. and that came back. And I just remember nights sitting on my kitchen floor, which, you know, was not like a nice clean kitchen <laughs> kitchen floor at that point I would just get up in the middle of the night and I would I would get to my kitchen and I would just sink down on the floor I think I said I would make tea for myself but I never got that far and just cry out to God and say please don't do this to me I why are you, you say you love me why are you how can you do this to your child that you love it was just devastating it sounds like you were very much alone or you, it felt that way well, you know, and it, it goes waves when it goes on for so long. You know, of course, you have steps forward when you're feeling, 
you know, more optimistic, and then you'll have a setback. But I, you know, the thing is, if you're caring for someone in a chronic situation, the stress of that, it builds up. And, and if, if it's not being taken care of, as you go on, then it just, you know, you can really spiral down and it can affect physical health and obviously your mental health and, um, and your view of God and your relationships, you know, your marriage or your relationships with your friends. It's, it can really, um, it can really affect all areas of your life if you don't fight for your soul. Right. Kirsten, that, that is an experience I think a lot of people have, that loneliness, uh, not knowing what to do, calling out to God. Um, uh, with it, a lot of people, I think, feel shame, you know, um, and isolate. And, and a lot of people do not certainly get to a point where they're able to write a book and, and share, uh, share this with others, right? And so... It sounds like you kind of started in that spot and you have grown and matured uh, to a place where you you are now helping other parents. So fr from those first few months where you um, weren't sure where to turn, what were some of the first steps where you really felt like you were getting your feet back under you and able to reach out to others? It's a little bit of a of a shot in the dark to, I feel, for, for parents to find help, especially especially if they want to find help that is going to be spiritually strong for them, that is going to, you know, be more than just, um, well, make sure you get eight hours of sleep, you know. My deep need was to know that if the worst things that I could imagine, if those things happened, was I going to be okay? And I needed to know if there were other people out there that had survived this with their faith intact, um, whose marriages had had thrived under those conditions. I, you know, I, I needed to know that this shattering that I felt was not my permanent situation. Um, and so I, I was really uh, blessed that Nicholas, Nicholas really has given me and I think every family struggling with mental illness a gift in that he has always been very open and transparent about his condition. Um, he has never asked me not to share about it. He has always said I can tell anybody anything about what he's going through. You know, if, if he was going to the hospital, you know, he would say, you know, call everybody and ask them to pray, which is, it, it is unusual for a teenager. Um, a lot of teenagers would rather that be much more private. And, and I have, you know, mentored some moms who, who I might be the only one that they are telling what's going on in their family. Um, and that's, that's a real burden um, to not be able to share that. So I, you know, I always give huge credit to my son because he not only gave me that permission, but because I was able to talk about it, other people knew that they could call me um, because they knew that this was in our family. And, you know, it's, it's just a huge gift. So, so I was able to reach out and let people know this is happening to us. And other parents who had gone through it or who were a little bit further down the path, a few of them reached out to me. Um, and that was, 
I can't even tell you. There was one woman at my church. She knew that Nicholas was in the hospital and she came up to me after service and she she grabbed my hand and she pressed something into it and she said, I know that he's two and a half hours away and that you are traveling out there a few times a week, you know, and I know it can get expensive. And she had given me gas money. And it was such a, a simple thing, but, you know, you talk about how, you know, families with the, with the invisible illnesses, you don't get the casseroles, you don't get the fundraisers, you don't mm-hmm. get the, you don't even necessarily get a place on the prayer chain, you know? Um, and so that, that, those kinds of gestures meant so much to me. And I, I just want that so much for other parents. I want them to be able to find that support and empathy and for for the church at large to become better educated and better at supporting those families but for for those of us who are in this weird little club to be able to reach out to each other and find each other so you say that nicholas was around 14 when he first was diagnosed is that right yes yeah his first diagnosis was a major depressive disorder Okay. Um, and it was only, you know, later that, that we really recognized the bipolar aspect. Yeah. Where, where did you turn to for help? Like I said, I, I had I had a few friends. A, a couple of them gave me some very practical advice, you know, about, about things like, you know, finding a psychiatrist, which is super hard to find a pediatric psychiatrist. And, you know, which hospital in our area was the best fit for him. I did briefly go to the internet because what I, like I said, what I really wanted was real stories of people who had really gone through these things, but that were still sort of hopeful. But I don't recommend that at all. (laughs) The the internet is a dangerous place for people who are looking for hope. So I I did stick to, uh, you know, websites that were reputable for for just information, things Mm -hmm. like you know, the Mayo Clinic and, um, and mm-hmm. the National Institutes for Mental Health and, you know, to just to just educate myself. But in terms of getting support and specific practical help, uh, I did attend a um, NAMI a family class, uh, their 20 week educational class. That was that was. Yeah, yeah that was great. I mean, we we went through this thick, you know, textbook, this binder of material, just educationally. We talked about our personal experiences. Um, and I, I came out of that feeling so much more equipped and not alone. Um, so that was helpful. Uh, the, the thing that was missing in that for me was I, I really wanted people who, um, who would address the faith aspect of right. of this journey with me right. and um so that that was missing from that but it, i would still recommend it as an educational um and support research resource mm-hmm. um i a little bit later on i became aware of um uh, dina and tom yoy they are the founders of a, a group called hope for hurting parents dina wrote a book called you are not alone um, that was great. And their focus is, it's partly for parents of kids with mental illness, but um, also kids with other struggles, um, kids who are prodigals, uh, kids who are, um, who have addiction disorders, those kinds of things. So it's a little bit broader focus for them. Um, they, they have been great mentors to me and they have, they have support groups and some of them are online. 
Um, so that's that's a great resource for parents too. Excellent. Yeah, those are those are all very good, and we'll put uh, their website on our uh, on our website. We'll we'll include that in our show notes, so people can can find them. What are some of the? I'm sure along the way you had fears about what um, would ensue in your son's treatment. What what were some of the fears you can remember having um, early on in the process of treatment? You know, when we started trying to find a, a medication regimen that worked for him, you know, every medication has its downsides and its side effects. So that was, you know, I was afraid of that. Um, and I was afraid of doing something wrong, of saying the wrong things, of, you know, reacting to him poorly, making it worse. Um, I was I was afraid that our that my marriage wasn't going to survive. I mean, we did we actually did really well for, you know, probably two and a half years before we, we had kind of a you know, a stress break and we ended up in, in marriage counseling, um, which was great you know, it was very helpful, but I, I was worried about right from the beginning. I worried about could he ever have a satisfying life with with this mental health condition. But I will say that, you know, he he experienced just unrelenting almost suicidal ideation for three years. He it was you know, I I don't think people realize the courage of people who are living with a mental health disorder um, to just do the next day when they are battling those ideas and thoughts and feelings all the time, to just get up and try to do the next thing. It was just unrelenting for him. And I remember sitting in the psychiatrist's office at the end of an appointment and I was, oh, I was worried about schoolwork and, you know, just asking about these practical things. And his doctor stopped me and he said, right now, we're just trying to help Nicholas survive his teen years. Mm-hmm. And I have never forgotten that. My great fear was that he would not survive, um, mm-hmm. that he would, you know, he would win the battle 364 days and then the 365th day he would lose the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that was something that I really that I really had to come to terms with. I had to to like I said, I had to ask myself, if the worst thing happens, is God still God? Am I still okay? Do I still trust in the God who loves me and saves me and who loves my son? If this happens, I had to I had to look that in the face because it was a real possibility. Kirsten, you said that initially the family to family really helped, but the the faith element wasn't there in, in that in that the NAMI program. But as you you've grown up and found more resources, the church has been able to be a, a big support of yours. Correct? Yes, I would say um, individual people have okay. have really stepped up to support us. I mean, my church. They're great, and they they are supportive of us. But I would say that they are 
in the process of learning how to do that and I'm I'm trying to be a resource for them actually in that um, and I, I think that it's getting better they're growing in that but I would say when we first um, when we first started down the path nobody really knew how to how to deal with us my my pastor he was very empathetic but for example his references like who he could send us to for help they were out of date he didn't really know who who in the congregation he ought to have us talk to it wasn't so much that people didn't want to support us and do the right thing but I feel like there's a lack of education and knowledge of how best to support families who have mental illness affecting them. The whole church was kind of on a, a learning curve with you, it sounds like. Yeah. Yep. They still are. And um, and I'm grateful that they are willing. You know, I, I know that there are some people who have had much more um, painful experiences with their faith communities where, you know, uh, mental illness has been um, misunderstood or, or misrepresented and and that can be very damaging and painful. I, I did not have that experience. I'm grateful. Um, but I think, I think the church as a whole still has a, a little ways to go. In your first chapter, it's uh, you write about uh, surviving the ambush of shock and the shock that... Uh, you went you and your family your son included uh went through nicholas facing the symptoms and and then seeking treatment i'd like to ask you a little bit about your experience on a psych emergency department i think a lot of times people have um images that uh may or may not be accurate uh and uh it, it helps to, to hear from someone who who's been there to see what what that's like would you say more about that months into um, trying to help us find um, treatment and so forth that he came to us and said you know I I'm, I'm just not safe I I really am just having you know these urges and I I want to go somewhere where I can be safe, which, you know, is just, it's so, it just hurts your heart to hear that, you know, but um, of mm. course my husband and I, you know, looked at him and said, if that's what we need to do, that's what we need to do. Um, and so we brought him to our local psychiatric emergency department, you know, just to walk, walk you through it a little bit. There was a, um, an entrance that was sort of to the side of where the regular emergency department was we had to ask for directions because it's sort of unmarked you know it's, I guess it's a privacy issue but that was a little dis disconcerting for us so you might need to look for it a little bit I think two sets of metal detectors we had all of our stuff searched um, we were kind of put into a little assessment room and questions lots of you know, questions for, for Nicholas, some for us. He was admitted. They can stay there at least in hours. They could stay there for 72 hours um, in the emergency department. So it's not a long-term place where they would stay. They would, it's, they would either be released from there or they would find placement somewhere else. In our experience, in the psychiatric emergency department, there was um, 
assessment, but not treatment. That's not the place that um, you go for treatment. It's just a place right. you go for, you know, if you need emer you know, emergency safety um, and to be assessed to see if you need a higher level of care. Um, so we did a lot of just sitting around. For us, it was not a great, that great an experience. It was not terrible, but it wasn't it wasn't warm and welcoming. Sat for hours and hours and hours with you know nothing happening. I've had a similar experience with a, yeah. a loved one in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, I mean, I have some, I have some do's and don'ts. Um, you, you should bring, if you, if you're having to go, bring something non-electronic. A lot of times you can't have your phone out or whatever. Um, so books, magazines, crossword puzzles, those kinds of things. Um, don't bring anything that is like a cord or a string. You can't bring a hoodie with a thing in it. You can't bring shoelaces. Another parent told me that um, she brought fuzzy slippers for her child because it was a comfort item. So if there's something like that, like a little, like a, or a cozy um, jacket, basic toiletries is good to have, a change of clothes. So you really have to judge, you know, is, if it's a safety issue, then don't think twice. But, uh, you know, if, if you can wait till the next morning and get to, to somewhere to your therapist and make a different plan, that's another option. So now after this in your book, you just you describe following Nicholas through treatment and into some play, unfamiliar places for you, right? The, the hotels and restaurants. Yeah, well, his hospital that he ended up in was two and a half hours away. We made a plan that I would go and um, be in town with him as much as I could. Mm -hmm. um, it was not every not every family can do this. I feel really, you know, fortunate that we were able to. But you know, it's expensive, and um, sometimes you know, work takes over, and you you can't you can't do that. But for us, we were able to do it um, at least part-time for me to be there. And so I would go and I'd stay in this hotel and um, go to visiting hours twice a week and uh, family family counseling sessions and whatever other family, you know, activities that they had. I would, you know, I was just trying to participate as much as I could. It was lonely. And I would sit in that hotel room in between times and, oh, I'd snack and I would watch stupid TV and I would cry. <laughs> Um, and I would read things on the internet, trying to take a crash course in um, teenage depression, and it was difficult. But on the other hand, I'm grateful that I was able to really take the time to process a lot of that emotion. Um, it was a, it was a time apart when I wasn't also trying to work or take care of younger siblings. Um, Nicholas is the younger of my two children, so I, I didn't have to do that. And you said that at one point God sent an ambassador. So this was so early on in our in our journey and it was it was something that I came back to over and over again as proof positive to me that God was watching out for me, that he was in this with me, that he wanted to um, take care of me right there among the lions. So what happened was I kept getting emails and texts and phone calls from my friends who would have loved to have, you know, been there with me, to give me a hug, to bring me a meal, to, to you know, just be there for me. But they couldn't. You know, they, they had their own lives, and I was two and a half hours away. I was in the hotel breakfast room, and 
the the breakfast manager came over to me and we had chatted a little bit. He knew why I was there and he said, I have someone you need to meet. And he went into the, the back, into the kitchen, and he uh, brought out this woman, and her name was Gaitha, and she was just lovely. He, she sat down with me, and she grabbed my hands, and she said, what's going on? And, and um, you look so lonely. I would love to hear your story and pray with you. And she did, and I just started, you know, I, I cried again, <laughs> but... But she just prayed for me. When I was, I was there over Easter weekend during that stay, I was missing my church family. I was missing my husband and my other son. I was missing our family from before all this had happened, you know, how we had always celebrated Easter together before. She came in to work um, on her day off. She wasn't supposed to work that day so that she could make sure that the table that I always sat out for breakfast had a vase of flowers mm-hmm. on it. I just knew that God had had sent her this um, representative of all the women who were supporting me in prayer. Um, and I, I looked up her name because her, her name is unusual. It's uh, G-A-I-T-H, Gaitha. And there are two meanings. One is from Sanskrit, and it means song. One is um, a form of Agatha from Greek, and it means good. And so her name is Good Song. And it was the song that God sang over my dark days in that place. And I just knew that his presence was with me, that I had an unshakable place in his household of faith. Um, And it was something, you know, when days got dark again and I felt lonely and I felt like maybe God wasn't paying attention. And I I looked back on that and I said, "He, he sends me what I need right here. In, in the middle of this circumstance. Yeah. Amen. You know, that leads to, to the question we ask all of our guests uh, that we interview, and that is, what does healing mean to you? To me, healing is experiencing the power and the peace of a hope that doesn't disappoint. The thing that at, at the at the end, when Nicholas he was close to recovery, but I had I didn't know that at the time. I was I just felt so disappointed with my life. I felt like everything that I had tried so hard for that I had worked the, the hardest at, you know, my family and being a mom and that everything was just a failure, that I was a failure. Um, that life was never going to be satisfying and good. I mean, I was just really in a dark place. And, um, and God, God gave me back my hope in his resurrection. I came back to my Bible and I said to God, I, I feel so dry and empty and cold towards you. I, you just are, you're going to have to do this work. I can't, I can't manufacture this on my own. And I just read a little bit every day. And it's not like, you know, the sky is opened up with, with rainbows and unicorns. But day by day, he built my, you know, I, I read about his healing and his, his love for people. And, his, and I finally got to the end of Luke, the, the book of Luke. And I remember waking up that morning and thinking, okay, yesterday I read about the crucifixion and my eyes popped open 
And I thought, today I get to read Resurrection. And this joy filled me. And, and, and God had brought the joy of my salvation back to me. And it was amazing. Um, and I, I, I cling to Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, we, we rejoice in our tribulations, for we know tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out with, through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I looked at that and I thought, everything feels so disappointing, but the hope, my hope in Christ will never disappoint me. And so I think that bringing the experience of that power and that peace in a hope that doesn't disappoint, that's healing for me. It's not, you know, Nicholas has a chronic mental illness that he will have to manage his whole life. He may relapse. There's a good chance he will. I may relapse into clinical depression again someday. There are no guarantees of anything. You know, after the year that we've had, we certainly right. know that we can't control our circumstances. But even if we are lying down among lions, God is still our refuge. And that hope, it doesn't disappoint us. Amen to that. You know, one other thing I like a lot about your book, Kirsten, is that you include a lot of very pragmatic tips. You also have some tips about um, uh, the home environment, getting the home environment more conducive for life, I guess you, you might say, and bringing nature in. My co-host, uh, Eric, here is... Uh, board member of the Sierra Club, and he loves to talk about pollinator plants. And I, I, w I wonder if I might facilitate a conversation <laughs> with you guys on that. I love nature, no doubt about it. Well, I'm a huge advocate for the power of healing in nature. I was walking around um, beautiful lake at one of our state parks that's, that's close by me just today and chatting with a friend as we walked. And I said, this path has seen so many moments with me. You know, I've, I've cried tears on every step of this path and I have, you know, worshiped God and, and, and you know, been amazed at his creation on this path and, um, and everything in between, been silly with my kids. Uh, and it's life-giving. You know, something I, I was reading your blog post about nature today and i was thinking i don't know why this was like the first time it ever occurred to me but so much of our life is spent you know a, around things that humans make you know and humans have made some amazing things and you know do not discount that at all but it's very easy to just you know in my basement here just see art and uh, photographs and my computer and what, whatever all these things are made by people um, but in nature you you are around those things that that God created. You know you're you're around things that man did not create. You know may have altered in some ways or added to, but really you're you're in creation. These things that we don't control, but somehow come together and you know harmony. And uh, I think for me that's a big part of why I love it so much. It, it is creation. Recently, there's been so much, so much research that, that backs up what we already know from Scripture, you know, that Scripture tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, and, you know, that we can see God's eternal power and deity in nature. You know, Scripture has already told us all these things. You know, science is just now catching up and saying, hey, you know, 
spending time in nature has a measurable effect on people's depression and spending time in nature can bring your heart rate down and your blood pressure down. We're, we're discovering these things, things like they're new. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, you've discovered that. A, a question I have, when did you realize that you had a book in you? When did you feel feel compelled by, you know, by God, you know, on this mission to, to write a book? Well, this is actually kind of funny because I, writing has always been in the plan for me. Um, I had this, I had this grand plan for my life. I, I homeschooled my kids, um, birth through high school. And, but I had this plan that when they were a certain age, um, that they would be more independent learners, uh, and I would, um, I would really buckle down and start that novel that I've been playing with for a few years. And I had a file folder on, and I kind of had the plot laid out, and I was going to go for it. And um, before that, I was really focused on on their education and um, and so. But when that time came, that was when Nicholas got sick. So that plan was just put on hold, and you know, everything changed. But then when he started, um, you know, reaching recovery and becoming stable and I had some more time on my hands, I thought, oh, now I'm going to do it. And I, I signed myself up for a writing workshop and I, um, and I started to write. But every time I sat down to work on my novel, which I love, by the way, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the stories of what our family had gone through kept rising up and I kept ending up writing writing those stories instead yeah. and bringing those to the workshop and and I kept about how what I had longed for when I was in the early days that I had longed for the stories of people who had made through um, and you know leaned into God and and so I finally, you know, it's like, okay, God, <laughs> first I went to Nicholas and I said, what if I write about you? Would that be okay? And with his generous spirit, he said, yeah, go ahead, write whatever you want. <laughs> um, and, and so I said, okay, God, I, I will set aside the novel and I will write this book and I will, I will write down everything. I'll be as real and raw as I can and I will try to find the things that will help other parents, um, not just in my story, but I, you know, I, I researched and I interviewed mental health professionals and I interviewed their parents to get their stories. Um, I thought, you know, what, what kinds of, like, like the what to bring to the emergency department list. I thought, what would I have wanted to know? What kind of right. practical pointers can I put in this book? Um, and so that was really the, the journey of that book. It went through, you know, maybe three or four revisions um, before, you know, reached the stage that it ended up at. So, so that was how that book came to be. And, you know, just as a, a postscript, I have written the first draft of the novel at this point, too. Nice. So, <laughs> so I did, I did go back to that. And, um, and so that's what, super what, fun. Can but you share a little bit about the, is, the novel or, or no? Oh, sure. It's, yeah, it's historical fiction. And it's about a young woman in first century Roman Britain. And Whoa. the clash of cultures. <laughs> so... But this book, Among Lions, it's, you know, it's a passion project for me because I just have this, you know, this, this heart for the moms who are going through it now. Yes. And, and dads. 
And you have a companion uh, to it called Kneeling Among Lions, Praying When Your Child Has a Mental Illness. It's a 20-day devotional um, guide to prayer. I've got to think with the book and the companion and your passion, experience, uh, your involvement with Hope for Hurting Parents, uh, you're going to have a lot of parents thanking you for, for sharing your experience and, and I would think thanking Nicholas too for giving you the uh, you know the ability to write freely about your family's struggles. Uh, wh what kind of future do you see for yourself in, in supporting others? Well right now my, my great prayer is just that this book would find its way to the hearts that God intends it for. Um, you know, I just know that there are that there are certain certain people that need this work, or else God wouldn't have asked me to set aside everything else and work on it. Um, I don't know who they are. I, you know, it may be a few of them. It may be a lot of them. That's not my business. That's God's business. Um, my, you know, my goal with this book is, you know, I do a lot of um, speaking um, for you know, conferences and retreats and so forth. And sometimes it is specifically about mental health, but not always. But there's always an element of our story that is in it because I talk about myself and, and how God has worked in our lives. And so there's even, even in the talks that I give that are not specifically about mental health, always that handful of women that come up to me after, and that's what they want to talk to me about. And so when I was writing this, I was picturing those people that um, that they needed that support. Like that was what they latched on to. And they're like, oh, that's someone who knows. Um, and so I I want, wanted to give this to them. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody about this. I'm happy to talk to support groups or... Um, or churches who want to improve their support for their families. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where this is going to take me. It's adventurous. Yeah. My, my last question is just about the Hope for Hurting Parents organization. Uh, Dina uh, Yoy wrote the foreword to your book, and you have a very strong connection with the yeah. organization. If you could share a little bit more about what, what they do. Well, they have, um, like I said, their their focus is support groups for parents, and they have great leadership. They have great leadership materials. Um, so, you know, if someone is wanting to start a support group in their area, they have um, training and leadership materials. Um, Dina and Tom have a great uh, blog, so I would I would send people to their to their blog and like I said she also uh, wrote a book I think it came out it came out maybe five years ago uh, it's called you are not alone I would echo what Eric said about thanking Nicholas for us um, <clears throat> as uh, someone who has a mental illness myself um, bipolar one so um, you know I was fortunate to be 30 years old before my diagnosis came to the forefront. So um, I had some security, some job security and, you know, things like that lined up, some maturity, I I hope. Um, but um, it takes a lot of courage for someone like Nicholas at age 14, 15, 16 years old 
to um, to know his mom well enough to to know that you and your husband uh, and the family need support and uh, open himself up for that. And uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's a re- really commendable thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. No doubt about it. Well, I, he's, he's my hero. <laughs> he's also my, my buddy. He's, he watches cat videos with me and does silly <laughs> things with me that nobody, nobody else wants to do. <laughs> he watched the gymnastics finals with me last nice. night. <laughs> he's a, he's, he's a great guy to hang around with. Great. That's awesome. Great. Well, thanks so much for being with us, Kirsten. Tony, it was very nice having Kirsten Panachida on the show. Yes, she's a great example of a mother who cares deeply for her son and is willing to walk alongside him um, at an early age through some scary territory in mental health care yes walking with him two and a half hours away that's right driving with him two and a half hours away driving there and taking you know she expressed gratitude that she could do that you know not all parents can do that but she um she nevertheless uh, made the effort and went through it and i know uh from my own experience as the patient, inpatient, uh, you know, there's not a lot of contact you have with families. So right. that meant she spent, you know, probably 23 hours out of every day um, alone in a hotel or a restaurant or coffee shop or, you right. know. Um, I really like the story she she talked about with the the woman there at the hotel. Yeah, God's ambassador. She had a visit from a woman who uh, she met at the restaurant who ended up being uh, pivotal in in feeling uh, she had a home away from home, people caring about her. Right. And her son. The home away from home. That's right. Even on Easter. Yeah. Being there for her. Mm-hmm. A, a couple of things, my takeaways. Uh, one, and this really just came to me here, was how the son really has given Kirsten, you know, free reign to tell his story yes. and, and be transparent, right? Uh, that That's pretty rare. Yes. And it takes a lot of courage um, to give up that uh, control over your own story in a way. Yeah. Um, and it just speaks so much to that family uh, and the trust he has. And, um, you know, being able to tell her story has helped a lot of other people. And, and a lot of credit goes to him. Yes, Nicholas, it shows a lot of uh, emotional maturity and and confidence and faith, as you say, trust, mm-hmm. uh, to put it out there and let his mom get the support she needs. Right. Uh, you know, not everybody's in, in that place. They have concerns that prevent that, mm-hmm. which 
you know, we certainly don't want to downgrade anyone who's choosing not to disclose. But Mm -hmm. when you do disclose and you get feedback and support for yourself and your loved ones, it, it can be a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's very powerful. Another takeaway was when she was talking about some of the early days uh, with uh, psychiatric care, and she was talking about uh, Nicholas going to school and kind of what to expect. And the psychiatrist said, you know, we're not really concerned about him getting great grades at school right now, right? Right. We're really just concerned about him getting through each hour of the day, you know, and really focusing on his health. Right. And, and giving him the space to not have the pressure of all those other demands of, of youth. You exactly. Know? And I think that's pretty hard to hear as a parent, but it seems like she really responded to that and respected that that, that is where things landed and where they had to start from. It was an adjustment for her as a parent, as you say. I mean, here she has a 14, 15, 16-year-old son and a lot of hopes for the future. He's a bright young man, Yeah. Um, a lot of potential uh, in worldly sense, mm-hmm. and suddenly there's this curveball. You've got to put those those ambitions aside for mm-hmm. a while, at least, until the day-to-day is yeah. taken care of. Thank you, Kirsten. Thank um, you. The author of Among Lions, Fighting for Faith and Finding Your Rest While Parenting a Child with Mental Illness. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. I discovered that my Bible had too long of a string on it, so they had to cut the string of my Bible (laughs) off.